The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box. I'm Jeff Cutmore. We're coming to you live from Zurich and Credit Suisse's headquarters. And of course, Karen and Steve are in London. Let's talk about these Credit Suisse numbers. The bank delivering a consecutive net loss, 7.29 billion Swiss francs for full year 2022. The real stinger here, though, is the outflows. 111 billion Swiss francs of money leaving the bank. We will pick up the conversation as to how the turnaround plan is going with Ulrich Kerner, the CEO, in just a few moments. Siemens hiked its four-year sales and profit guidance after posting just under 3 billion euros in first quarter profits, easily beating estimates. The CEO, Roland Brook, tells CNBC momentum is building. We had the strongest start ever into a new fiscal year. Our revenue grew by 8% for digital industries and smart infrastructure. Revenue grew by 15%. And we have a record high order backlog of 102 billion. Disney shares pop in after hours as CEO Bob Iger unveils sweeping restructuring plans for the House of Mouse, including 7,000 job cuts and $5.5 billion in cost cutting. And Alphabet shares plunging after its new chatbot posts inaccurate information in a promotional video as investors place their bets on who they're backing in the AI race. So very good morning and welcome to the program, everybody. Uh, There's a lot hanging on these Credit Suisse numbers. The bank has to begin to demonstrate that its turnaround strategy is beginning to deliver. And we will speak with uh, Ulrich Kerner very, very shortly and we'll bring you that full interview. But just to pull out the highlights again, I think there are two things going on. Obviously, the full year loss, 7.29 billion, is pretty much in line with the market. The... uh, Net loss for the fourth quarter arguably is is slightly better at 1.3. The market had about 1.5 penciled in here. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there's still been significant outflow of cash from this business, particularly at the retail level within the asset management business. And clearly, because this bank is trying to reshape itself into a racehorse in the wealth management business, it is critical that they steady the ship in terms of reputational risk. So the 111 billion Swiss franc outflow is a real sting here. We're going to find out, obviously, from the CEO whether that is beginning to tail off and whether they're beginning to see any inflow at all this year. That also uh, sits alongside the other stories about the um, reduction of risk-weighted assets here and the shift in uh, involvement in investment banking. So Michael Klein, um, formerly of this house, uh, who runs a, a boutique M&A business in New York, will be selling that business to Credit Suisse 
Um, $175 million is the price tag here. There have been all sorts of claims as to uh, whether this is a transparent deal and whether it is the appropriate deal for this bank to make. But it does allow them now to go a little further down the road on creating this uh, CSFB uh, business, uh, which they want to be a nimble boutique M&A operation in the US with the backing of a large bank's balance sheet. So we may talk a little bit about that with the CEO. And of course, the divestment of the securitized products business continues with Apollo and first steps being taken down that road. But really, it's a, it's a question of whether they can keep existing shareholders on side or perhaps even tempt new shareholders into the business. Uh, the bank shares dropped to under three uh, Swiss francs um, uh, last year, I think in December, that They've climbed above that plimsoll line here, but it is a bank that I think um, is still something like 80% worth its uh, book value in terms of how the market perceives it. And that, of course, is um, going to make it very difficult for, for this bank and this business and this management team to assert that they are on the right path. So we will talk about all of these issues and the latest on the bonus pool and how they're hoping to lock in managing directors with a gradiated uh, bonus uh, with clawbacks. That conversation to come very shortly. Guys, back to you. Yeah, looking forward to that. 800 CET, we're going to roll out your interview with Ulrich Kerner. Thank you very much indeed, Jeff, for running us through that. OK, let us move on. There is an enormous going, uh, amount going on today, including the fact that Siemens has upped its sales and profit outlook after posting its, wait for it, best ever start to a financial year. Isn't that extraordinary? 2.7 billion euros in profit. The German industrial giant raised its revenue growth for the year to 7 to 10% on the back of a record 102 billion euro order backlog. Now, our very own Annette asked the CEO, Roland Busch, uh, what gives Siemens the confidence to be so bullish on its outlook? Well, we had the strongest start ever into a new fiscal year. Our revenue grew by 8% for digital industries and smart infrastructure revenue grew by 15%. And we have a record high order backlog of 102 billion. So, and profitability came in strong too. So therefore we had the confidence to raise the, raise the guidance from six to nine to seven to 10%. And also on earnings per share guidance, an increase of 20 cent. Let's look though across the regions because obviously um, we're discussing whether the world is falling into a recession, especially in the United States, also in Europe. Um, do you see growth uh, evenly spread across the globe or do you have like hotspots where, where growth is really more dominant? Actually, for us, we see that we have a strong pull regarding our portfolio. So our strategy pays off, right strategy, we have the right technology, customers are demanding, um, and of course we have the right team. So we see um, a strong trend to buy automation, digitalization technologies in all regions. Um, is it the United States, is it China, our biggest markets, but also in Europe? So just to give you an idea, our automation revenue grew by 23%. So we, and we also captured clearly market share here. The same thing holds true for sustainability or using less resources. So we see a strong trend from all customers they're talking to to reduce their footprint, so to go for efficient solution. That's what we can do as well. 
Smart infrastructure is very good in driving energy efficiency in buildings, um, electrifying, that means um, um, everything what you electrify you can power with renewables. So we have a strong pull. And again, this cuts across all the markets which we are serving. Let's talk about China. I mean, China is reopening. Um, what do you think does that mean for your business? So we personally believe that um, the change of COVID policy um, will drive the economy after all because uh, the infection rate will go up and uh, in a very, very short time the people will be back on the market, people would be back also in the normal life, that means also buying, so there will be a pull. So we believe that the Chinese market will come back in 2023. Of course we had now the Chinese New Year, that's clear, that was all planned, but uh, we believe there's a pickup uh, for the rest of the month to come. So we are quite optimistic, which is good because we have a very, very strong stance in China. We have a local footprint. Uh, we have a, a strong team there. And uh, so we are looking very much forward to see what's, uh, what's happening to our numbers for coming from China. The United States, though, is also doing quite a bit in terms of uh, supporting the industry, just talking about the in Inflation Reduction Act. How is business doing there? Well, I mean, number one, the Inflation Reduction Act um, is positive. We see it positive because it does really also support green technologies, uh, which helps a lot, of course. We have a strong footprint in the United States, too. This is our largest market and also most of our revenue is coming from there. And then once you start building new sites, um, everybody wants, of course, to build it with the latest technology, though highly automated and digitalized. And that's what we can offer to our customers. So is it new semiconductors? It is battery manufacturing. Also new markets like indoor farming, but also our existing markets like data center and the like. So we see a strong pull from the United States market, also pushed by the Inflation Reduction Act, and we will take our advantage from that. Let's take a look at that U.S. market action. We certainly seem to have settled into a more erratic trading pattern. Investors looking for the reaction from the Fed this week. j specifically to the non-farm payrolls report. They didn't get it. The very hot number that crossed on Friday. Investors, though, seemingly listening more to the earlier cues from the Fed that higher for longer could be the story around interest rates. And that's just unsettled some of the risk on areas of the market where we've seen a lot of appetite throughout January and into February. So uh, the volatility really kicking in as j was speaking a day earlier and now as you can see in session in market action we pulled back again in these tech areas. Uh, Fed Governor Christopher Waller uh, said out in an appearance on Wednesday that the central bank will need to keep monetary policy sufficiently restrictive for a few years to tamp down inflation. So again as we look for forward guidance I think the market somewhat rattled. The other big event uh, taking place was in uh, the likes of Alphabet. Uh, the market uh, closely paying attention after a promotional video that uh, was showcasing it's AI technology. Don't forget, it's been a huge race between Microsoft and Alphabet this week to get ahead of the narrative on AI. But uh, that promotional video producing uh, a negative outcome for uh, Alphabet and uh, for its search engine, which meant that the stock fell 7.6%. That contributing to the, some of that selling that you just saw on the likes of the Nasdaq and the S&P 500. Microsoft uh, tracking lower by about a third of a percent. And don't forget when it comes to Microsoft, concerns too about its takeover of Activision, a pushback by regulators here in the UK around whether that could be possible. Now let me take you to what we're seeing from Disney. <clears throat> 
This was one of the other big moving stocks and you could see 5.4% higher in after hours. We've had news of 7,500 job cuts as the company seeks to slash about $5.5 billion in costs. This was the first earnings call with Bob Iger back at the helm. A lot to digest in terms of this reorganization of the business, but the markets you can see responding. And our colleague states I will be speaking to the Disney CEO, Bob Iger. That exclusive interview is coming up at 1500 CET. I want to take you back to Treasuries because this was one of the undercurrent for the markets this week. We've seen the, the repricing of the interest rate story and that has meant we'd be more elevated on some of these yields. We did see some slippage though in session yesterday, just pulling back from some of the heights that we've seen in recent days. But 3.62 where we're perched on the 10-year currently, 4.44 on the two-year at this stage. To the dollar, and this is the trade around the greenback. Early on, sterling on the front foot. We're climbing towards that 121 mark. We've uh, managed to pick up about two-tenths of a percent. Firmer on the euro dollar trade, 107.38. Dollar yen weakening at this stage and also versus the yuan. To the Asian markets, uh, this is how we play for the Thursday session. Uh, these markets mostly firmer. In fact, uh, decent gains across on the Chinese markets leading the charge. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea just slightly positive. But Tokyo stocks, as you can see, reversing. We're down 22 points or less than a tenth of a percent. So a slight pullback for Japanese stocks. To the opening calls, we gained about a quarter of a percent plus for positive session in five in trade on the stock share of 600 yesterday. FTSE was high. We saw that rally also gains on the DAX by about six tenths of a percent. The CAC was a little bit left out of that mix, slightly weaker. So it was patchy for some of these core markets. That said, you can see we are in lockstep this morning. We're chasing green arrows in contrast to what played out on Wall Street. Well, coming up on the show, uh, Egon CEO Lard Fresso will join us to discuss their latest earnings. Don't miss that first on CNBC interview. And for more in today's earnings, as well as the latest market action, you can check out this Squawkbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Egon out with numbers this morning. A slightly messy on the top line number, the headline here, as we uh, talk about the impairment loss from classifying the company, uh, the Netherlands business, uh, as held for sale following a transaction with ASR that led to a net loss of 2.4 billion euros for the fourth quarter, 2.5 billion euros for the full year. But the operating resort line, this is where you're seeing a 4% increase to 488 million euros for that final quarter. Benefits from expense savings, growth initiatives and improvement in expenses claims and strengthening of the US dollar that was offset by lower fees due to adverse markets and outflows. So let's just get into these numbers this morning. Joining us now is Lard Fresser, who is the CEO of Egon. Thank you so much for joining us, Lard. Just walk us through what was happening at an operating level. It doesn't look as though you made too much progress. Uh, good morning, and thanks for having me on the show again. Uh, today we are capping off the year in style, I would say. It was a um, macroeconomic very difficult backdrop in 2022. But throughout the year, we have demonstrated resilience with strong capital positions in all the main units. 
a strong balance sheet with growth in, in product lines that are not that market sensitive and where, of course, we're seeing the volatility of the market back in some other product lines. But overall, I would say a very resilient year, a solid set of results. We are increasing our dividend, full year dividend today with 35% over the previous year. And we are returning 200 million of uh, excess capital back to our stockholders in the form of a buyback. So I would say overall, against the macroeconomic, very difficult backdrop, a very good year for Aegon. As we talk about what lies ahead with these market conditions, I think it's fair to say there's still a lot of pessimism at this point. What do you make of some of the outflows and how that story unfolds over the course of this year because of the sentiment? Well, if we uh, inflation is here, and I expect inflationary pressures to be with us actually for quite a while to come. It is, of course, good news that central banks are fighting inflation as good as they can, but they are not the, I mean, they cannot do everything that we, you know, to, to fight inflation. In the end, it's all about productivity improvements, making sure that we use new technology to increase long-term productivity. I expect also, given the geopolitical uh, um, let's say, uncertainties and, and pressures, uh, that there, there will be continued volatility ahead of us. So we, as an institutional investor, run many scenarios continuously to ensure that we're cautious and that we're, we're putting our assets and liability management in such a way that our clients' money is always safe with us, irrespective of the outcome of any scenario. Lad, I can see some bright spots around life insurance sales. You've mentioned that in some growth markets also in the United States. What's the catalyst for this? Is this about winning market share or is there sudden new interest by individuals in taking out life insurance? In, there are some product lines uh, which are not necessarily uh, related it, to, to financial markets. Traditional life insurance, for instance, in the United States. We've been able to increase the distribution points that we have in the United States with a partnership with WFG to 62,000 agents across North America. That's a marked increase, and that was one of the drivers behind the growth that we've seen year over year in this product line by 20%. In the UK, we've seen the workplace solutions business, where we are one of the top five leaders in the industry, growing this year, actually had the best year since 2018. We've also seen in the growth markets, Brazil uh, and in the Iberian Peninsula, we've seen good growth coming through. Uh, on the other side of the equation, we also have the asset management business, which, like the wider industry, has been suffering from uh, the volatility on, on financial markets, and that has been visible in the results. So it's been a year where, in some product lines, we were able to demonstrate real growth through building out a distribution and launching new products. But in other product lines, we've seen the, the volatility of financial markets coming through. Um very good morning, Gilad. Um, it is a very viciously competitive market out there, as seen by, I'm just looking at your uh, workplace solutions business in the US, and it was one large multiple employer plan contract uh, discontinuance that actually upset the whole Apple cart. How tight is it out there uh, in, the, in the competitive environment, especially in the US? Uh, the competitive environment across all our markets is pretty strong, uh, and certainly in a sophisticated market like the US, there are strong competitive dynamics, but we know how to compete. And that's what you can see indeed from the good progress that we're making in some of our product lines. The, pro the, the, one, the, the client loss that you're talking about, which was uh, indeed visible in our workplace solutions result, 
is very unfortunate, uh, and we're fighting hard to ensure that we maintain all our clients with new products and new and 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 new pro- uh, new products, etc. However, the un- in that business line, the underlying case count, so the number of cases that we're able to win, we're actually up five percent. So the underlying trend is good. Uh, having said that, there was this one client that uh, that decided to go to another provider, and that is un- a very unfortunate situation, which of course we do not want to replicate in the future. I appreciate your answer, your first answer to Karen about the competitive environment and the multiple challenges there as well. Do you want to go into a bit more detail about what's going on in the UK? Now, I know your solvency two ratios are solid, especially in the United States, uh, the NL Life segment, 210%, but it fell decent amount in the United Kingdom as well. And we've seen huge ructions uh, created in the uh, pensions industry in the UK uh, caused by the LDI concerns and the concerns about the government's competence back in October as well. What's going on in the UK market? And especially, do you have any comments to say about what's happened in LDI? Yes, in the in the UK market, we've seen obviously a very volatile year, right? Um, in the workplace solutions business, which is uh, uh, um, modern pension solutions for companies, we've been able to progress very well. When it comes to the retail platform that we operate, where we are one of the market leaders with over two hundred billion of assets under administration, that's a platform which is used by independent financial advisors to advise customers uh, uh, on their asset portfolios. Now, the volatility that we've seen obviously has not helped as a backdrop. And as a result, we've seen outflows uh, in the retail platform. Now, we aim to improve it. And as the market backdrop will improve, we expect that uh, that sales and commercial momentum to come back. The volatility in the UK has obviously not helped the overall consumer sentiment. So uh, competitive competitiveness is there, but we are able to compete quite successfully, and especially in the workplace solutions business, where we've had the best year since 2018. Um, I've, got, I've got another CEO waiting the wings, but I must ask you, you talked about the challenges. Surely the ECB finally having a positive interest rate has taken some of the tourists out of the insurance market and made the premiums a little bit firmer. And that must be a, a source of uh, well, not so much joy, but relief for you. Well, in, infl- when you have inflation, it's not good, of course, uh, and especially consumers are struggling uh, uh, with the inflationary pressures. We are helping our consumers to navigate through this period of inflation by making sure that in our products, we, where we sometimes need to raise premiums to reflect the inflationary pressures, that we allow them more optionality on coverage, uh, on coverage choices that they can make so that they can make themselves a trade-off uh, between uh, keeping the premium f- premiums flat or having to accept a higher premium or to adjust their coverage. So this way we allow our customers to, to uh, navigate as much as they can uh, and help them to navigate through that inflationary environment. Uh, a solid answer, Lyle. Nice to see you, sir. And we'll see you again soon. Thank you for joining us. I know you're an incredibly busy man today. Lyle Frieser, who is the CEO of Echon. Well, another busy man waiting in the wings. Volvo Cars has warned 2023 is set to be another challenging year after posting a fall in quarterly operating profit in the fourth quarter and proposing no divvy. Uh, the company posted a beat on full year EBIT and revenue and says it expects double digit growth in the retail vehicle sales during 2023. Jim Rowan is the CEO of Volvo Cars. And I'm delighted to say he joins us now. Jim, thanks for hanging on in there uh, while we conducted the other interview. Uh, Jim, why is 2023 going to be so tough? Well, I think you're going to see a continuation of a lot of the disturbances. When we started 2022, there was there was little disturbances caused really, obviously, uh, the Ukrainian war hadn't started at that point. 
And that was a turbulence that was added on top of the COVID situation, which was rumbling through China still at that point in time, as well as some underlying inflation that we'd started to see. Whilst we're seeing um, the end of 2022 finish in much better shape, so we've seen this, the semiconductor situation calm down, we've seen the COVID uh, shutdowns in China hopefully start to come to an end, but we're still going to see some of that turbulence go through, certainly in the first half of 2023. By the second half of 2023, we're hopeful that we start to see some of those high lithium prices come down, and we're hopeful we start to see some of the underlying turbulence uh, that's just added to that uh, start to calm down as well. But first, first half, I think, is still going to be reasonably uh, disruptive. Jim, you've, you've made your commitment, as had the previous CEO, to electric vehicles. I look at the recharge range and I think it looks fantastic. The problem is they are very, very expensive vehicles as well. Tesla cutting costs, uh, beg pardon, ch- cutting prices, um, Ford cutting price as well. Are, are, are electric vehicles just the wrong price at the moment for consumers in the current environment? Well, what's really been the driver, of course, has been this massive spike that we've seen in lithium. We started the year, uh, 2022, that is, with higher um, raw material prices pretty much across the board for a lot of those materials that go into batteries. Most of those have came down. Lithium has stayed doggedly high. uh, But all of the analyst reports that, that we read in our own intelligence tells us that lithium prices will start to fall in the second half of 2023. So you'll start to see that normalize again. One of the things which uh, which we've been focused in on for quite a number of, of years now is how do we bring um, how do we bring that electrification to a wider marketplace? And so the launch of a new small SUV, which will which will launch uh, later this year, brings that uh, much closer to that that let's say bigger market appeal. My problem is, Jim, multiple. And don't get me wrong, I, I, I like your cars and I like electric, but I'm not going there at the moment because, well, for the same reason, A, there's no charges out there compared to what have been promised by governments and by those putting them in. Uh, and B, the charging's very expensive these days. Of course, the cost of electricity has been incredibly volatile. I want to buy an electric car and I'd look at one of yours, but the problem is I think they're expensive. I think they, they, they promise too much on the range when it isn't really there in real world conditions and you can't charge them. Yeah, but you need to look at the underlying technology. You need to look at the technology of internal combustion engines versus uh, electrification. And quite simply, the the efficiency of an electric vehicle is much better than an internal combustion engine. There's less noise, there's less vibration, there's less servicing costs. Uh, and at this particular point in time, you know, of course, the battery prices are higher, driven by the lithium, but that will come down. And if, if you're going to go towards zero tailpipe emissions, then quite frankly, you don't have much of a choice at this point in time other than to go full electric. And so we got to, we've got to hold the course and make sure that we drive that through. Now, our, rec, our um, analysis shows that we will be at price parity between BEV and ICE within 2025. That's only a couple of years away. But unless you make those investments right now, you will miss that market when that inflection point comes. And we've seen that happen in places like Norway. Almost 85% of all new cars now in Norway are fully electric because they've invested in the infrastructure and, of course, because they've leaned in uh, from a government subsidies point of view as well. Jim, there is a choice, though, as to which EV car many consumers buy. Do you need to cut prices to try and protect market share now that Tesla has moved to lower its prices? No, we don't. We're, we're seeing actually a stronger demand for our products than ever before. And in fact, if you take that to the BEV sector, 
then we're seeing an even stronger demand for the Bev sector than any other part of our product lineup. So, and we see that reflected in our sales as well. So last year, uh, we sold roughly 4% of our total cars were, were, were electric. This year, it's over 11%. Uh, and that's a massive jump, especially when you consider we were constrained on supply of BEV cars, partly because of the lockdowns in China, causing some of our supply base to close down for, for quite a number of weeks. So now we're, we're extremely bullish uh, in terms of our BEV strategy, and we're seeing that reflected um, very healthily in the demand for our cars. Jim, I want to pick up on your comments around lithium because it feels like it is a race for the product, even in the United States as well. General Motors is investing $650 million into a company called Lithium Americas to try and shore up supply. Do you need to think about doing the same thing, a direct investment into lithium? Yeah, we've already, start, we've already started uh, that strategy and we'll probably talk more about that in the coming months. But yes, I think that vertical integration towards uh, the parts of the vehicle that really you know, that really drive value and will become more difficult to get over time is an essential part of the strategy. You, you've saw that already. We've started to invest in our own electric motors. So we do those in-house, our inverters, the battery uh, plant that we're going to set up here in Torslanda in Sweden, that joint venture with Northbolt will be one of the biggest battery factories in the whole of Europe when that's completed in a few years' time. And then, of course, that obvious next step is those direct connections with the mines and the miners that allow us to get those uh, those raw materials. Uh, first of all, the supply of those raw materials, and secondarily, uh, at a competitive cost. Jim, can I just get some comments on the consumer? Because we do have this picture of higher interest rates. They're still going up at this stage. Traditionally, there's a link between large purchases for those consumers when it's a tighter monetary environment. What does it mean this time, separate from this transition that we are seeing take place? And also, what's the China reopening thing doing? Yes, and we keep a really close eye on consumer sentiment. At this particular point in time, we don't see any dampening of demand. We don't see any order cancellations uh, that are that, that would cause us any concern. However, as energy prices continue to be high, then of course we've got to keep a, a keen eye on, on that consumer sentiment change. At this point, we don't see that. Now, we work in the premium end of the market. I think at the mass market end, maybe that's a little bit different. But for us, we don't we don't see um, we don't see that. In reference to the COVID lockdowns in China, we're really pleased to see that open up now in China open up um, because that did cause us some some disturbance uh, last year when some of those suppliers were locked down and couldn't supply not just our factories in, in China, but also our factories in other parts of the world. So that's a real positive for us as we start 2023. Jim, always a pleasure. I know you're busy. Thanks very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Jim Rowan, the CEO of Volvo Cars. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.